So we're going to be in the book of Genesis um, today. We are not going to go uh, all the way through the book of Genesis in one fell swoop. Genesis is 50 chapters long. I sketched it out this week. It would take me about 90 weeks to preach the book of Genesis uh, faithfully, um, which is almost two years. And uh, I love you guys enough not to do you two years in Genesis. At my last church that I was at, there was actually a Sunday school class that went through the book of Genesis verse by verse as a Sunday school class. They started, the class began, they started at Genesis chapter 1, their very first Sunday as a Sunday school class, and the class ended, they closed the class down two and a half years later or three years later when they finally finished the book of Genesis. People were tired of being together, and that class totally closed down. So what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, the first chunk of Genesis, and we're going to go through it together, and then um, in you know, about nine weeks we'll, we'll change gears and go somewhere else. So if you have your Bible, open to the very first page uh, of Holy Scripture, Genesis chapter 1. I hope the story of Genesis chapter 1 is familiar to you. I hope that that's a story that you have um, at least heard in one way or another because uh, I'm not going to read every verse of it to you today. We'll read some key ones and I'll summarize some other stuff uh, in the middle. But if you haven't read Genesis chapter 1 or maybe it's been uh, a few years since you've gone through it, um, if you want you can read that um, and really the first 10 or so chapters of the book of Genesis um, over the course of the next couple of weeks and you'll be ready for what we're going through here as a church. Genesis chapter 1 begins in verse 1, and this is what the Bible says as it begins. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now Genesis begins the story of telling how God made everything from nothing. This is a, a creative act that is difficult and impossible, actually, to duplicate, right? We create, human beings are creative people. You probably came to church today in some sort of an automobile, a car, truck, SUV, 12-passenger van, right? You came to truck in some some sort of vehicle um, to get here today, and that is a creative thing, right? Some person somewhere along the way sat down and said, we could move people effectively in this box of metal with this engine that explodes in a certain rhythm, and we can move people down the road. That's a creative thing to do. But all the pieces for the car, all the parts of the car existed, right? I mean, there was uh, metal, iron ore in, in, in the mountains, and we went and we found it and we dug it out, right? Everything existed. God made everything from nothing, right? God is a powerful, creative God is part of who he is. What we're going to learn in the book of Genesis, especially in the beginning of the book of Genesis, is we're going to learn a lot about who God is and who we are. Because in the first, really, ten chapters of the book of Genesis, the entirety of the story of what is wrong with the world and what is what was right with the world is laid out. We learn about the character of God, the nature of man, and the end result of what happens when man takes God uh, God's commands and abuses them. It is a powerful time, but it begins by describing this God who always 
was. He always was. Time did not exist, right? There was morning and there was evening, or there was evening and there was morning on the first day, right? And that was the first day. But before the first day, there was eternity of, of, of no days. There was time that did not exist as time chronologically. And God was always there, right? He hovered over the face of the deep uh, of whatever there, the, 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 the substance was. God was there and always has been there. He is an eternal God. He is a creative God. He's a powerful God. And he speaks a word and light comes into existence. Right? The concept of light, not the sun that comes into existence later, not, not some star right, that comes into existence later. The actual concept of light, which is difficult for me to wrap my head around, it did not exist. And then God's like, you know what? We should make something that makes light. And then, boom, he speaks the word, and it's made. And God calls that light good. This is a big part of the book of Genesis. Throughout the entirety of the book of Genesis, God calls things, specific things, and then mankind has a, has a tendency to rename things that God has already named. Right? And we rename them oftentimes poorly. You'll see it in Genesis chapter 3, right? God made everything good and everything perfect. Man and, man and woman find their way into sin. And the way they find that is they look with their eyes and God says, it's not good for you to eat this. And they look with their eyes and they say, no, that looks good to eat. And so they see with their eyes and they profess with their mouths, that's good, that God said was not good for them. And they take it. But God is a creative, powerful, always existing God. We take this for granted, right, that God has always been and that he has great power, but those are core elements to who he is. That's one of the reasons that we're going to have this prayer meeting on Monday nights, because that God who made something from nothing is, is inviting us to engage with him in a dialogue. How crazy is that? That, that, that? that the God who has ultimate power and authority, who has always been just out of nowhere, has always been. And he says, you can come to me. Right? I want you to come to me in prayer. It's an opportunity that we have. And God makes light, and we have the first day of earth. Now, a lot of people get hung up on, on creation. Right, and they, they want to say, well, was it six literal days of creation? Was it, um, what, did God make the earth new and young, or did God make the earth old and kind of hid dinosaur bones in it as a scavenger hunt for us to find later and to riddle us about what those dinosaur bones are doing down in the dirt? Or maybe each day is actually just a span of time, right? The word day in Hebrew could literally just mean a span of time, and we know a day is like a thousand years to God, and so maybe every day of creation is some indefinite amount of time. Maybe God made light, and it was seven million of our days before he got to day two, right? And, and, and if that really bothers you, if, if those are the issues that really you struggle with, I don't struggle with those issues, but if you really struggle with those issues, right, right pour yourself into it. There are people who have done more research and more writing uh, than I could ever wrap my head around. But here's, here's what I know. God made everything in an orderly fashion for us, right? Now, if you put a gun to my head and say, how did he do it? I'd say, well, he probably made a young earth, and he probably made it over six days, like I would understand six days to be. But if I die and go to heaven, and God's like, hey, Matt, it actually took me tremendously longer than what you've said, 
I will not be grieved by this knowledge. Right? My entirety of my faith is not built on a six-day literal creation. I believe it. That's kind of where I naturally fall because it seems to be the plain reading of Scripture. But if that's not the case, if I show up to heaven, and that's not the first question I'll have for God, by the way, but maybe eventually I'll get around to asking that question. And if I ask that question, he says, well, actually, this is how I did it. I'll be like, oh, okay. Right? Because I don't have anything tied up in that. I have a, a loved one, one of my close, uh, or really one, one person that's really close to me, and he is so hung up on this part of the Bible. Right? He has a, a, an inability to express faith in Jesus Christ because he has a problem with six-day literal creation. And I've told this person many times, I said, this story, like the, the very first part of the Bible, if that's the problem for you, just stop reading it. Right? Go to the third page of the Bible and pick up there. Right? Because the, the truth is, Right? What we need to know is God is the creative God. He's in charge of all these things. But we also need to know right, that we're broken and we can't be right with God. There's nothing that we can do to be right with God outside of Jesus Christ. And this person knows they're broken. They know that they're messed up. They know that they struggle with sin, that they might struggle with using that word sin. They know they're broken. And I said, just, just skip it. Like, maybe one day you can go back to that issue, but the issue you need to deal with today is the issue that you're broken and God has made a way to, to fix your brokenness through Jesus Christ. So, um, I, I, like I said, I'm not going to take a real strong, like, you must believe like I believe on this. Like, you, there's a whole range of things you can believe on the order of creation. It doesn't bother me in any way, shape, or form, because the truth is what God is showing us here is that he created, he created in an orderly fashion, and he's ultimately responsible for everything that is. And that's what the story of creation is. We have five more days of creation that happen. We have stars made. We have uh, the, the separation between the sky and the waters made, uh, which is probably just the formation of planets, I would guess. I don't really know. Right? We have the, the formation of land and watery substances. We have earth and water. We have uh, like stars and moons and plants and all of these things. And then we get to the sixth day of creation. Right? So we got each day, at the end of each day, God looks at what he's done and he says, I did good. Right? Every day, I did good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Every day, six days straight, five days straight. That's good. That's good. That's good. He makes animals on day six. That's all the animals, the birds, maybe uh, the fish in there. The birds, birds and fish might actually be on a preceding day. I don't want to give them that right now. But, but he yeah, makes, the, makes the, the elephants and the rhinoceroses and the giraffes and the dogs and the cats and all the animals that we see at the zoo. He makes all those animals on day six. And at the end of day six, it appears he turns his eyes to you and to me, and he makes us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Read with me about what this creative, powerful God does uh, in, in verse 26. And then, it's, then God said, this is in day six, after he's made the animals, uh, he says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air or the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves 
on the earth. So at the end of day six, when God is almost wrapping up this creative act of making everything and making everything good, he turns his eyes to making mankind. And God makes us special. This is important for you to know. You are special to God. You were created in a very special way. You're, you're, you're more special. You're specialer. I don't know. That's probably not a word. You're more special than your, than your dog, than your cat. I still have a one-eyed kitten available for adoption, by the way, if anyone's interested. Um, or it's adorable and it would love you, right? right? But you're more special than, than, than Monocle, the one-eyed cat, right? You're more special uh, than, than, than your bird. If you're a bird person, by the way, I have questions for you later. Like, I just want to figure that out later, right? That's a, that's a different story, right, to be a bird person. Or maybe you've got a snake, right? That's weird too, right? You're more special than, than Slither the snake that you hang out with, right? You are special because you are made in the image of God. This concept that we are God's image bearers is foundational in understanding everything that Scripture talks about. Right? Jesus Christ did not come to the earth to die for your dog, no matter how great your dog is, no matter how much your dog loves you, and no matter how much money you've spent on your dog, right? Dogs are, are expensive animals nowadays, right? Or your cat, if you're a cat person, God bless you, right? right? He, he, Jesus didn't come to earth to die for your pet. He didn't come to earth to die for all the, the elephants or the, the black rhinoceroses of the world. He came to earth to die for you because you have special value to God. And the special value you have to God is because you are made in the image of God. When God looks at mankind, he sees, rather dimly, I suppose, his own imprint. He sees something in us that reminds him of himself. Right? He didn't make uh, the, the, the sun in his image. He didn't make the earth in his image. That would be pantheism. Right? He made you in his image. And there's certain things that it means to be an image bearer of God. One of those is spelled at the very beginning, right? That means we look like God. We're creative like God is creative, right? Like you can see, you can go to the circus and you can see like a poodle riding a tricycle, right? But the poodle doesn't make the tricycle, right? We train the poodle, we, we beat the poodle into submission and break its spirit and we make it ride a tricycle for our, for our entertainment, Right? We created all of that. Right? We, we, we create things. We make massive buildings. Right? We created air conditioning. Praise the Lord. We created indoor plumbing. Right? We're, we're, we're creative people like God, less than God. Right? We use materials and our, our, like we kind of build off of what He's made. But we're creative. That's one of the things that makes us like God. God is one of the image bearer parts of who we are. But we also have dominion, right? God is the ultimate authority. Right? I've been asked before, you know, like, who's, who's the ultimate authority in the church? Right? And this is a church government question. Like, is it the pastor or is it the congregation? Like, in a Baptist church, congregation has the ultimate authority. Right? If y'all got up right now and somehow called a business meeting, you could fire me or vote to sell the church to the Methodist or whatever, right? You, you have ultimate authority, over this church. Don't sell the church to the Methodists, by the way, guys. Be better than that, right? <laughs> my, my grandmother, by the way, is a Methodist. I love the Methodist church. Uh, I struggle sometimes with where, where they walk, down the paths that they've walked down, um, but, but those Wesley guys weren't far off from a lot of truth as they were doing their business. But 
But like, the, who has the ultimate authority in the church? And every church is different, right? Some churches it is passed around. If you were to go to Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen, uh, he, that's his church. Right? His daddy started that church, John. Joel is in charge of that church, right? He might have a board of directors that um, report with him, but I guarantee if he wants something done, he makes it happen. He's, he's, his name is bigger on the building if you're driven by Compact Center than Lakewood Church is, right? He's, he's the thing that church is built around. In Baptist churches, it's congregational. Some churches, you have elders. My last church, they had an elder board. The elders were ultimately responsible for the church. But the truth is, all of those are wrong. Right? The ultimate authority in the church is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. We have our authority under his authority. God gives us dominion in Genesis chapter 1 over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the creeping animals that run across the ground. Right? We, have, we have a dominion over all of those animals, but it's under God's authority. God is the ultimate authority, and we are called to be stewards of what God has given to us to have authority over. By the way, that means we should take care of those things. Right? I'm not a rabid environmentalist, right? Like, uh, I'm not. My, I think I bought a car recently that gets like 12 miles to a gallon, okay? So, like, I'm not, um, I'm not a vegan or anything crazy like that. I think veganism, well, it is crazy. I'm not going to lie to you. That's crazy, right? But I, I, I'm... I'm not anything like that. But we as people have a responsibility to take care of this thing that God has made for us to steward. Right? And so we have to care about uh, the environment. We have to care about what is in the best interest of the environment. We have to care about what's in the best interest of the animals that God has made us to care for. Those thoughts should inform how we act and what we do. Now, you can debate global warming and all these other things as much as you want. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to get into all those debates. I just want to say we have a responsibility to be good stewards of what God has made. Right? And so we have this dominion. So, so first of all, we see that God is a creative God. Second of all, we see that God has made us to be his image bearers here on earth. That means we are the closest thing right, to God uh, that, that God has made. Like we look most like God. And so we have uh, this image bearing. That means we have creativity like God. It means we have dominion uh, to a lesser degree, again, like God. But God didn't just make us in his image. He modeled what it means to be a human. And this is so amazing about God is God did not just leave us to, to, to figure out what it means to how to do humanity after God is done creating. And by the way, after he makes man and woman, and he makes the rest of the world, he looks back at all, all he's made. And he doesn't say it's good, he says it's very good, right? Whenever he was done making you and me, he looked at, looked at everything and says, that is better than every dog and cat and sun and star and moon and bird that I've ever made. This is very good. You are very good. You were made very good. This is an important thing about who you are. You have intrinsic worth because God has endowed you with intrinsic worth. You may doubt it at times. People may tell you that you're not worth anything. People may tell you that you're not good. People may tell you that you're worthless, but it's not true. You are very good. You are precious and special and made by God in his image, and he loves that about you. Don't let anyone lie to you about that. But after God's made everything, we, we jump down to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read a couple verses in Genesis chapter 2. God has made everything in six days. And then it says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God rested from his finished 
work. So God blessed them, verse 3, the seventh day. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Guys, guys, after six days of hard work, and again, I don't really want to get into the whole day thing, but after six days of hard work, God said, rest. You know, God doesn't get tired. It's not in his nature to get tired. He doesn't get fatigued. Right? Like he could run a marathon and then another marathon and then another marathon. It's God, right? He doesn't run out of steam and energy. He doesn't need rest, but he modeled rest because you need it. Right? God modeled what a Sabbath was, the idea of taking a day every week and saying, I'm not going to work today. You know, there's always work to do. This is one of the, 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 the weird things about being a person. There's always work to do, but if you take that day off, you get more work done in the sixth than you do in the seventh. So, so uh, as people, especially like today, I think, we're really bad at resting. We're really bad at taking a Sabbath, at saying, you know what, today I'm not going to do it, right? You, you, if you work for a company, they give you a cell phone, and you think, oh, that's so great of them to give me a cell phone and to pay for my cell phone. But you know what, when they give you that cell phone and they pay for that cell phone, you know what they've just done? They have bought every second of your time. Right? All of a sudden you find yourself Friday night at 10 p.m. responding to work emails. Right? I was with my brother uh, who works for Dell, and um, it was right before, it was Christmas Eve. And I was with him, we were driving around doing some last-minute Christmas shopping because we're guys. Right? And so we're, we're doing our last-minute Christmas shopping, and he's over there on his phone. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, gosh, I've got to, like, he had stuff he had to get shipped out so that people could get it in before the end of the year and he's working like hard on christmas eve which is not typically a work day even in like secular america right but he had to get it done because like they gave him the phone and he has responsibility and so they own him to a lesser degree on that guys be careful about that set boundaries around your life and find a day that you can rest God says you need to rest one day out of every seven. If you've been going for a month straight, that probably means you've got your own about four days of doing nothing. That doesn't mean, like, just sit around and watch TV the whole time. I mean, I guess you could. But, but take days to rejuvenate yourself because you are not made to go seven days a week. And God models this Sabbath so that we would take seriously our responsibility to rest. We're made in God's image, but we don't have all of God's attributes, and so we do wear down. And God says, look, God could have continued creating on the seventh day. I don't know what he would have made, right? Who knows what would have been made on that seventh day if he had kept working? Right? Uh, we can't imagine it because we're not God. Right? But he said, no, I'm going to rest today because the things that I just made in my image, they need to see this model. And so if you haven't taken a rest in a while, if you've been working seven days a week, as it's bad for your soul, you aren't made to do it. From the very beginning of time, God has said, stop doing that. So stop thinking that you know better than God and stop thinking that the world can't survive without you for a Saturday or a Sunday. It'll be just fine. It'll be just fine. The world doesn't need you seven days a week. Find time 
to get away. God made all these things. He created all these things, and he did all this so that we could experience life on this earth to the best of our abilities. He made us his image bearers, and then he modeled what life was supposed to look like for us, the rhythm of life, work, 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 rest. Right? He modeled that for us so that we could experience a special life, a better life today than what we have. Guys, it's important for us to know that we're, we're precious to God made in His image because it affects how you respond to the person next to you. It's not just that you're made in the image of God, right? That's pretty self-assuring that I'm made in the image of God. But you know who's made in the image of God? Danielle's made in the image of God, my wife. And so that means whenever my wife is being less than perfect, which is rare, rare, but when it happens and I get frustrated with her because she's in the wrong, I look at her as an image bearer of God and I recognize that she has the mark of God on her life. And so I treat her with love and respect. Right? It affects how we re relate to our children. It affects how we relate to our grandchildren, how we relate to our parents. It affects how we relate to the drug addicts that we see wandering around the streets of Rockdale. They bear the image of God. It's hidden. We don't see it readily, but it's there. God made them precious, special, creative. He made them to have dominion. And sure, they might have sold it short. Sure, they might have might have wandered a path that isn't ideal for them, but they're special. So we seek them because God sought them through Jesus Christ. Today we're going to take the Lord's Supper and we're going to talk about how far God went to reconcile image bearers to himself. You know, Jesus Christ came to earth to die on the cross so that those of us who bear God's image could be made right with him. God drew near to us in the incarnation on Christmas Day. He drew near to us, even though we were far from him, so that we could receive forgiveness. And the only reason he did that, only reason he did that is because he made God made us in his image. You're special because God made you in his image. And Jesus died for you because he was trying to reconcile all of God's image bearers back to himself.